Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Realcom webinar. I'm Sarah Bemperat with Realcom, and I'm very excited for today's webinar. We actually have a star lineup of um, panelists joining us today. We have one of our favorite moderators um, facilitating the conversation. We have two of our lifetime, um, oh, sorry, for our, of our Digital Impact Award winners joining us on the panel, and also our Lifetime Achievement Award winner of this year. So it should be a very great um, conversation, great presentations, really looking forward to it. But before we get started, let's go over a few housekeeping items. You can use the Q&A section to submit your questions and comments for the panelists. and We'll try to get to all the questions throughout the session. If we don't get back to you today, we'll follow up with you after the event. We will also be recording the session and the recording will be available within the next few days. And if you do run into any technical issues, you can contact me at sbampred at willcom.com. In order to avoid those technical issues, we recommend that you log out of any internet applications that are currently running other than the GoToWebinar platform. Um, you can also download a copy of the handout or the presentations that are covered today from the handout section. With that, let's introduce the sponsors of today's event. We have Bluetooth, Honeywell, LinkSpring, and Prescriptive Data, and we'll learn more about these companies throughout the session. And for that, I'd like to introduce Tom Shercliffe. Tom is the co-founder and principal of Intelligent Buildings, a company providing cybersecurity services and advisory services that reduce operational risk and lowers um, cost structure in commercial real estate. Tom, thank you very much for moderating today's session, which is actually the last webinar of the year for us. So I'm really excited to have you joining us today. Thank you so much. Well, thanks, Sarah. The year flew by. Um, so we're uh, continuing the discussion about the pandemic impact and the lessons learned. I just want to give a couple quick thoughts and then we'll get right into the panelists. Um, I think we can all uh, appreciate and understand we're going to hear about public health and wellness and sensors, indoor air quality, clean schedules, occupancy schedules, those are really right in front of us. But also uh, hybrid work has been one of the fastest developing megatrends in a generation. I mean, in a year, we've, we've all agreed now that the way we work has changed and that has a direct impact on space um, utilization of how and when and that kind of thing. Uh, and that uh, trickles down into the smart solutions. So um, whatever we do in offices or retail or even multifamily is going to change and be affected by technology or technology is going to be needed for that. But one observation is that um, we've seen a broader change in that. And this is um, uh, something that was actually uh, trending before the pandemic. And that is the merging of multiple issues into a single real estate technology strategy. And what I mean by that is our conversations we're having with large uh, uh, portfolio owners and managers is that um, they want a strategy and need one that accounts for financial efficiency, ESG, uh, public health, wellness, uh, life safety, hybrid work, uh, occupant experience, attraction and retention. I'm probably missing some. Um, whereas it used to be in the past, we had very specialized groups and departments and even leaders of those. And now because all of those things conspire to, to need the building or the space to, to really work uh, in concert, it's really becoming more of a single conversation. You had the pandemic, of course, on top of all of that. And you really, you really have to put it all together. And the other thing that does is, is from our perspective in doing this for 17 years, it helps reinforce the idea that a smart building or a smart portfolio is really about 
uh, attributes more than more than point solutions. So if you're interoperable and flexible and scalable and you have cybersecurity, that allows you to navigate through uh, these periods of times and the issue or the priority of the day. And then, as we just said a minute ago, take take all of those issues and have them uh, manifested as use cases on top of a building with those attributes. So having said that, I really want to get right into the panel. And I think bef uh, just before we start, uh, Ian, we're going to have a, a quick video intro. LinkSpring's Edge to Enterprise for Enterprise and Multi-Sites is a turnkey smart building solution that connects, accesses, and translates operational and facility data from devices and equipment into actionable information. Information that can save energy, increase efficiency, and reduce operating costs while maintaining a higher level of comfort for occupants. The Edge to Enterprise solution consists of hardware and software combined with engineering, deployment, and professional services. It's everything you need to deploy and experience the value of a smart facility enterprise, including connectivity, integration, interoperability, automation, command and control, data access and normalization, analytics, and cloud services. Okay, well, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, ask Mark to come on camera here, and I'm gonna introduce him, uh, Mark is the uh, Chief Marketing and Communications Officer for LinkSpring. He leads corporate and product marketing, uh, strategy, brand management, public relations, and communications that support the company's strategic and growth initiatives. And I'd also uh, want to point out, as Sarah mentioned earlier, he recently received the Lifetime Achievement Award uh, from Realcom, and uh, great congratulations on that, Mark. Thanks, Tom. Delighted to be here and delighted, delighted to be with uh, my fellow colleague panelists and the audience who's attending today. So let me get right into it. COVID, as Tom alluded to already, has really made us rethink our buildings, the way we operate them, the way we manage them, the way we engage with them. And it introduced us to some really new challenges and priorities and caused us to reconsider and really re-examine um, the operational and workplace strategies and really has caused us to invest more in smarter technologies. Achieving operations that balance economic, social, and environmental goals is one of the major outcomes the building industry is facing as a result of the pandemic. So what I'm gonna do today is I'm gonna share with you 20 lessons that I have learned and, and or experienced over this last year in dealing with uh, the pandemic. So let me start off with saying, first and foremost, uh, I really learned that there truly is a convergence of traditional building operations and workplace management. Um, there's no doubt about it. It's just like the convergence we saw several years ago between OT and IT. Uh, we have asked our, our systems and our equipment uh, that really run our buildings to do a lot more than uh, we had them doing previous to the pandemic. We've had this conversation shift, as Tom alluded to earlier. Uh, we now engage in conversation around health, safety, out, uh, occupant well-being 
And with respect to hybrid, I think we can all agree that the hybrid workplace is here to stay, but I'm gonna go a little further and say it's just not the workplace. It's also the use and the combination of edge technologies, edge computing, and the cloud. So um, some of the others in continuing uh, what I see as far as lessons learned, the previous energy and sustainability references that we used to refer to now have been combined with the ESG. And, but there's a whole new thing that's driving this ESG. And as I see it, it's more about the social awareness. It's all about now the pressure from shareholders to their, their uh, companies uh, that they own and invest in. It's customer requirements. People who are wanting to buy products and services want to deal with organizations, companies who are environmentally and socially uh, on top of things. So again, that's completely different. We've never had that part of the equation ever before. And then in continuing with these lessons learned, uh, what I like to refer to as the new office amenities are air quality, occupancy control, space flexibility. And another lessons learned, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your view, is we've returned to siloed systems. Uh, and this is really as a result of the number of sensors that are available in the marketplace, and yet they're transmitting data, but it's really to uh, proprietary cloud environments. Uh, another lesson learned is data, and it's really given us a whole nother reason why it is so important and truly that data still reigns as king within the, the built environment. And then finally, on this particular slide, is establishing and maintaining building and facility trust. Uh, in order to get occupants back and for people to stay uh, engage, we need to build that uh, trust and uh, within our facilities. Uh, now, moving on, flexibility to operate and manage our buildings based on daily changing occupancy levels. In other words, there's no one size fits all anymore. We have to be flexible. The way a building is COVID operated is now part of a company's brand and also part of a company's reputation. Uh, it's really strategically very, very important here. Also, lessons learned, we need to focus on people just as much as we are the technology, and I'm gonna add one here, outcomes. And then uh, continuing on is that we uh, achieving this, um, we brought in an increased attention Again, as we've said all along, to the workplace, the health, the safety, and space issues. There's much more also in dealing with COVID than just the cleaning, which we started out with uh, as we addressed the COVID over this past year. The use of technology has also moved up the chain to address issues resulting from COVID. And it's made us all get a little bit better in accepting and acting upon the need for change. So um, in summary, I just wanna say that 
our buildings today uh, have become smart, need to become smarter, not just smart, smarter than uh, more so than they ever had before. COVID and the adjustment to life with COVID continues to fuel the need for our buildings. Again, as I said earlier, lessons learned, smarter, flexible, resilient. Uh, no more than ever has smart building technologies that support connectivity, interoperability, a healthy work environment, operational cost efficiency, and sustainability are required. Is there any certainty? Sure, but, and I look at it as this, that what is certain is that the physical facility and the way it is connected and operated will continue to have a major role forever and ever in our space. And although there's a myriad of owners and operators with vastly different needs, we know that smart buildings outperform ones that are not, no matter the type of facility. So, and final, uh, to say that how a building addresses COVID can have both a positive effect or a negative impact on the value of that asset. So with that, I wanna thank you and Tom, turn it back over to you. Oh, thanks Mark. And if you don't mind a couple of questions, um, and I'm glad you brought in value because that is that is a hot topic these days about whether people are going back to offices and when and what happens to the future retail and all these things. But uh, since, uh, since you have, uh, just received a lifetime achievement award i want to ask you a uh, question that calls on your lifetime of experience uh and, sure. and uh, yeah exactly seeing a lot of uh, trends but um you know we we have touched on you touched on this whole session today is about you know covid impact and and technology impact smart buildings etc um do, do you think that this is the norm going forward or, or we're going to kind of get over it uh, just you know, you've seen you've seen trends come and go. What what do you think? Is, uh, what is what is an overreaction right now, so to speak, in technology terms and and thinking and and what will stick? Just what's your perspective on it? Sure, I absolutely believe and think that this is going to be the norm going forward, and this is something that uh, we will have to, as a industry and as a world population will continue to have to address. Uh, and again, once we establish this foundation, which we are doing now, which again, it's being caused by this, by COVID, uh, we will be prepared uh, much better for the future. But yes, I think this is the norm and it's going to be mandatory going forward. And that's why doctor on TV, but are you saying, because pandemic kind of moves into endemic and then we're just in a phase of, of, of at, least, at least awareness, if not a series of issues going uh, forward? I, I do, yes, but uh, more importantly, to override that just a little bit, it's what we now expect of our, uh, of our buildings. In other words, we expect them to be healthy. We expect to have good air quality. We expect to have all these things that we are addressing today and going forward it as i said it is the norm and uh will continue uh, okay good that's actually a really really good clarification so endemic or not let's say and, and a lot of people say there are going to be sort of these ongoing public health issues 
you're saying that, that there's just a, a heightened awareness of a healthy environment as opposed to keep as much air inside as you can solely for energy, let's say. Now there's a, an awareness of, no, you know what, you know, I think more, more more outside air is good and balancing those. Is that just the awareness piece you're talking about? Yeah, it is. But at the same time, even pre-COVID, we all know that we started having conversation about the healthy environment, the workplace environment and the workplace experience. This really lit the fuse and caused this to really move forward at lightning speeds. So, but again, this is what folks, in my opinion, are going to expect. I'm going to work in a building. I expect these things when it comes to my personal health, safety, and well-being. Okay, and then maybe a related question because, you know, well, you're right, was coming on beforehand, but that was, um, in some ways, you might say it's a proactive thing. I want to be well, uh, more healthy, let's call it, um, which is Sort of uh, looking forward, but public health is preventing something bad. And do you think that we're going to have things like, you know, COVID-proof buildings or, you know, public health? I don't want to say certifications, but is that is that some kind of a um, future-proof concept going to be in there in terms of uh, uh, the public health dimension and COVID specifically? I think it will be a topic of conversation for sure. How far it goes uh, at this point, you know, your guests really is gonna be as good as mine. But then again, along those lines, will there be standards? Will there be true things that companies will follow, especially as you tack this on and its relation to the whole ESG side of things? So. Um, yeah, there, there may, may be more letters coming uh, to ESG <laughs> based yeah, on exactly. some of this. Exactly. A, we've already moved about R for resilient and, and maybe, you know, healthy is, a, is another one that comes in. But anyway, uh, that's that's fantastic. And if, you, if you'll hang on, we're going to we're going to try to save some time for other questions. I got a lot of them, but uh, thanks. Sure. Thanks so much. Thank you. Sure. And I believe we have another introductory video. The way we think about the office has changed. When you need to manage dynamic work models, new employee expectations, and keep up with compliance, you need a mobile-first, data-powered strategy and a partner that understands the building of the future because they're inventing it. It's time for real-time visibility over your workforce and your space so you can track, communicate, plan, and optimize whether you manage one site or many. Honeywell Sign makes it easy to keep your workforce working, no matter what the future holds. Okay, super. Um, next is uh, Corey Anderson, who is head of sales for North America and EMEA for Honeywell Sign. He is responsible for managing and overseeing sales operations in those regions. Uh, previously, he was the director of inside sales for Honeywell Forge, uh, an enterprise performance management software that unifies IT and OT data from the edge to the cloud. And you see a lot of commercials for that, uh, Corey. Welcome. And uh, Corey's having some technical difficulties, so we won't have video, but he's going to talk us through it. Don't feel bad about not seeing me on video. Uh, yeah, it's, it's your benefit there, guys. Uh, but Tom, thank you so much for having me on here. I'd like to thank Realcom for, for inviting Honeywell. And um, as the video says, you know, really, what's the point of everybody? What, do we, what we were all saying to ourselves a couple of years ago is like, how do we keep the workforce working with the pandemic? 
Uh, so to saying that it was a disruptor, I mean, that's that's probably an understatement. I did want to share a quote, though, that was from Jim Barry, who's the vice chairman and a US, U.S. real estate leader from Deloitte. Um, he said the pandemic, quote, and I quote, the pandemic has certainly created unique challenges for the real estate industry. It is important to recognize that while the pandemic served as an accelerant, it did not change the trends that were already occurring. He continues that as memorable as 2020 events have been, 2021 and beyond will be telling as certain CRE companies begin to step into opportunities to better align their operations with those of the occupier and end user. And so, that. Um, there really has been a shift from understanding what's important and what's important to, to building owners and everybody who goes to a building, uh, the shift from, from safe to sound. And if you, you know, remember that Capital City song came out a little while ago, the safe and sound song. If you think of that, um, get that stuck in your head, you're welcome. But what it's gone from is that before the pandemic, really thinking about, you know, how safe is the building? What's the security? Um, are the fire systems? Kind of the basic things that, that people were worried about, the HVAC, energy optimization. But now, as we've gone through it and kind of come through the other side, everybody's a little bit more concerned about their own health and wellness, just as, as Mark was, was referring to in, in this previous section. He's talking about the expectation now is that, that you're going to be healthy. And so how do you provide that, that level of comfort and that, that level of um, understanding to your occupants? The pandemic's also forced us to reimagine completely like our, our actual workspaces. What are we doing? What are we trying to accomplish? How close am I sitting to somebody else? Are they comfortable with me? Am I comfortable with them? And so overall, if I was um, kind of just putting a big bow around it all, it's, it's really linking people to buildings. What we're seeing now is uh, the need for more automated processes, for, for more touchless options. And then we have all this data from these disparate systems. A lot of buildings already had, you know, many different types of smart functions and features and projects that were partially deployed or getting under deployed. How do you pull all that information data together and make it useful and make it actionable? All right. Uh, I think the best way to illustrate this is really to kind of talk through a uh, a recent case study that we had. Um, really brings all the, uh, the the different parts that we're talking about here together. And so we work with a company called Dexis. You know, um, it, they're based out of Australia. They you know thirty two billion dollars under under management and. What they found is that they had this their their key centerpiece building, which is happens to be in Sydney. Um, it, it's a gateway at one McCreary place. It has 46 stories and 470,000 square feet. And what they saw with all these different tenants and stuff that they wanted to a simpler way to automate visitor management and also to enhance site security and speed up access control with as little disruption as possible to the visitor experience. So. What we're able to do to work with them is 
is working with a lot of their existing hardware, their existing software, their existing systems and, and things they have in place is stand up a system that would allow them to kind of go through these steps that are on the slide. So now when somebody arrives at Gateway Plaza, the visitors can swiftly check in via the Sign Pro app using one of, their, one of the branded iPad kiosks in the lobby. They don't have to talk to another person to do so. Once their uh, pass is approved, it requests a unique encrypted, encrypted access token for that guest um, from the Honeywell EBI. The access token is generated, sent back to, to the software, prints out a QR code, which can be either you know, printed out directly or you know, scanned from a, from a device if they have it received by SMS or they can get it um, via email as well. As that happens, it also, the software notifies the host that somebody's arrived and that they're now ready to enter the building. The guests can go ahead and walk into the building by scanning their QR code and uh, using even things as sophisticated as, as Morphe biometric readers to enter. Now, once they're inside, the access control piece kind of takes over and guides the, the visitor while they're on site. It provides site officials with real-time information. You know, the visitor leaves for the day, sign notifies the host that the agent guest has left the building, and we're also automatically able to remove access token from the system so that person can't get back in or, or reuse it. And it so maintains a high level of security, which everybody's concerned about nowadays. So by incorporating Honeywell's enterprise uh, business integrator and Sign's robust visitor management platform, um, they were able to deploy in this building an upgraded guest experience and really set a new benchmark for future DEXIS premium commercial buildings. Uh, that concludes the person that I have here prepared for you. Do you have any questions? Yes, thank you. If you don't mind, just a couple. Um, so um, I just want to back up just a little bit on on things like compliance. We're hearing a lot, you know, there's man vaccine mandates, and you mentioned processes and dealing with all that. Uh, just just what's your sort of high level advice or first couple of steps to to deal with processes around things like mandates when they when they're you know as it relates to the building, of course. Well, first off, I, I don't have a crystal ball, so I don't know exactly, you know, what mandates are going to stick and which ones won't. And I think that'll be an interesting thing to watch as we as we prepare. But as was alluded to earlier, you know, I don't think this is going away. Um, and every state and every county, every jurisdiction kind of has different laws. Uh, what we can do is provide uh, information that's necessary to comply with such mandates. And so now there's a way if you, you know, there's, there's whole workflows processes where if you need to track visitors or if you need to track contractors or anything where we can know their vaccination status, they can self-declare, they can upload, you know, a vaccination card if that's what, what the, the owners want. And the system can store that and then track it. If there's an event, triggering an event, you can actually go backwards because you have a, a real-time log of who's been in the building at what time and go back and notify everybody who was there. And so I think it's, uh, the, you know, it, it, it's hard to say that, yes, we're going we're gonna to need to, you know, everybody needs to run out there and, and buy something to be able to manage, you know, to, to stay in compliance with these mandates. Um, but at the same time, if it, whatever comes necessary, we're prepared to be able to handle it with the data that we're already collecting. I got you. So 
and and uh, and backing up just a little bit, and we, uh, Mark and I talked about this, just a heightened awareness on uh, you know, health and 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 wellness. What's your what's your advice or your even your approach about how you're addressing that right now? Because obviously we're at the height of that awareness, and and Mark uh, suggests that it kind of continues on. No, that's a great question. And with that, you know, what do you, how can you make people feel comfortable in your buildings? You know, we can track the occupancy, le occupancy levels, density monitoring, um, as I just mentioned, the vaccination tracking, there can be thermal screening. You can, uh, you know, incorporate where the temperature is automatically read if we need to go back to those type of, of, uh, of mandates and, and requirements. And also you can do things to help, help promote social distancing. You know, you can also have things that, that help promote the use of PPE if that's if that's what you choose to do. Um, it, it really, it's, it's just you have all the pieces there available. It's how do you want to deploy it? How do you want it to work at your building? And how does it need to work in your building or country to comply with the law? And that's all configurable and, and customizable. No, that sounds that, that that makes a lot of sense, and that, that sounds like, uh, as I mentioned earlier, that the you know a smart building has attributes, and you might even add to that uh, technology that enables uh, multiple different types of use cases or preferences. So it's it's going to be obviously different everywhere, um, but it sounds like you'd advocate having having some process and platform and attributes that allow you to do that. No, definitely, it's really just linking the people in the buildings, kind of seeing it as one living organism, and uh, understanding what's going on with everything at once. That's great. Well, I really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, obviously sensors and that kind of technology or uh, even pre-pandemic was really a hot topic. And now I think it's, it's gone bananas. So uh, really helpful to get folks to get a sense uh, that they aren't just one thing, very flexible in terms of how you use it and what you use it for, whether it's compliance or comfort or awareness or, or what have you. So, uh, uh, Corey, thanks. Uh, I appreciate that very much. I thank you, John. You bet. Okay, so we're going to go on to the next uh, panelist, and it's Rom Eisenberg, uh, Chief Revenue Officer of uh, Contact IO and guiding its rapid market expansion and leading its solution portfolio. Uh, they build digital uh, building services that help people secure the space, tools, and support they need to be productive, sus uh, safe, sustainable spaces. And thanks to these solutions, uh, walking into a building and achieving your goals is more convenient and delivers a better experience. And uh, that's uh, uh, that better experience is a, is a loaded phrase these days, right, Rom? Think you're muted over there. Here we go. Uh, thanks, Tom. Um, yes, it is loaded, and and it's a good introduction because I'm going to spend five minutes making all, all sorts of uh, controversial statements. Uh, I hope you learned something, or at least uh, I entertained you. Um, and we start by well, flipping the next slide. There we go. So smart building technology over the last decade has connected elevators, air conditioners, water pumps, doors, electric meters, all hosts of building utilities. Because the smart building industry and the smart building technology companies are companies that are focused on installing all of these things and making them work. In other words, the key focus of smart buildings in the past 15 years has been to deliver realty operators and owners 
operational efficiencies. The people variable, notably, doesn't exist in the smart building equation at all. And if you look to the history of the internet, you will see that all the co my colleagues on the call today and any company that is selling smart building technologies have flipped the website and introduced a lot of health and wellness and people and all sorts of marketing uh, buzzwords that are obviously uh, being hyped today. Um, but from a technology perspective, from a platform perspective, uh, smart building is an operational mechanical uh, uh, universe that completely ignores people. For example, we did a study over the pandemic together with uh, CUNY University and New York State University in the Brooklyn College. What you can see in your graph in front of you is the day uh, that the college was shut down due to COVID in uh, March of uh, 01, 21. And the electricity consumption of the building over the next four months. And as you can notice, there is a small bump, but overall power consumption of the building remained exactly the same, which means Brooklyn College was heating, cooling, pumping, uh, everything, lighting. Uh, there were a lot of uh, PCs and computers that were left open. The point being, uh, smart or not, buildings historically ignore the dimension of people and how they use them. It was just not part of the equation at all which will make sense because if you think about realty portfolio management or ownership, uh, if you have a renter and you have a five-year contract, you don't really care anymore uh, whether the renter uh, is at 100% capacity or 50% capacity, uh, rent is being paid. The contract is secured. Now, we want to take you to a different non-technological phenomena that is happening today. It is a COVID byproduct and we call it the great resignation. The U.S. economy is seeing something in the range of 6% of the U.S. workforce quitting every month since August. Uh, October was uh, standing at six months as well. And you will see in the, these graphs uh, uh, from the Washington Post how in some industries uh, new hiring is slightly off offsetting uh, resignations, which means that most of the new people are substituting old people and not driving growth. This phenomena is causing a complete hysteria and a lot of fear and pressure with decision makers, especially in HR and the CEO uh, suite of large corporations. Uh, this is uh, a, a key bump in uh, the path to grow uh, together with the economy, which is booming right now. And I want to tell you that this is teaching us something very interesting. Here is another piece of data. Um, how are buildings really used? And you will see on the right side of the image that uh, in business sectors, telecom, consulting, finance, the occupancy of a desk in a building is less than 30%. So about 70% of the time, the space your renters are renting is stands empty. Uh, people don't use their desks uh, in, uh, uh, in high-tech uh, or high-human capital, human capital-intensive industries. It's just a fact. Spoiler, this is 2015 data. has nothing to do with the pandemic. This was always the case, it turns out. And because of that, I want to make uh, uh, my first controversial statement for today, and that is that the fundamental problem is for buildings today 
is that people, it seems, are absolutely not interested in coming back to the office. They just don't want to. Not flexible, not, not flexible. People like working from home. Beyond sustainability, and sustainability is a big topic, uh, so uh, uh, carving out the space for sustainability, it is making the office attractive for people to come into that should be, or, or in, in, in many cases is already uh, the number one priority of, small build, of smart building buyers and portfolio realty operators in 2022 and beyond. Like I said before, it's a completely new dimension. And that being a completely new dimension means that there are a lot of the wrong people trying to solve it. So what does it really mean, people in the center? And I will tell you that as many people as you will ask is the number of answers you will get. You will hear things like wellness or health, but we are not completely sure what do they really mean in the sentiment of the worker. I can tell you one thing for sure. I'm walking around a lot of corporate uh, uh, offices these days, uh, visiting a lot of large customers. Uh, the picture you see on the right side is some of uh, uh, our customers' idea of how you make uh, the building more uh, 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 hosting for people. Uh, you install an air quality sensor on the ceiling, you put a sign, those are no longer uh, uh, cubicles, they are now neighborhoods, um, but nothing really changed. On the left side, you see we work. The WeWork office, uh, uh, and WeWork has definitely been a, a people-centric winner uh, uh, in, in the industry over the past, uh, I want to say, almost decade. Uh, it seems like Americans really like to work from a West Elm showroom. Uh, maybe the answer is not uh, air quality sensors or uh, increasing the sense of security using sensors uh, and access control technologies. Maybe it's really about furniture. So understanding the list of demands by our employees who don't want to come to the office is critical. And you can see some of these demands outlined here, but I think that the important notion that you should keep in mind is that learnings has only started and is ongoing. It's going to take a lot more time than you imagine. And I am telling you, don't listen too much to experts because most of the experts are not you either. How do 50 different classes of workspace uh, influence productivity? Uh, how does office temperature affect happiness? Um, how can we create business models that allow us to downscale office space and, and deal with surge or, or, or peak hours by offsetting those to space as a service properties? Uh, do we expect our uh, uh, building owners to provide us with those options in a new commercial model that has nothing to do with sensors or technology. Um, how do we address not just the seat on a desk, but an entire team that needs to get together in the office? How do we let them work together and not spread them across floors? Um, there are just, those are some examples to the questions that are being asked. And I want to tell you that answers are still uh, are being developed, uh, researched and found. However, and here I have some good news for you. AI-powered clouds extending into building Wi-Fi and IoT sensors are exposing a new layer of metadata. They're describing indoor interactions. And it's interesting, nobody said interactions today. I think it's critical. It's not how people use the office. It's the interactions, the moment of exchange between people, equipment, and the space that they occupy. 
It's about delivering the building as an API and integrate it not just into new systems, but into existing systems and into a, a unified or shared data lakes. There are a lot of uh, uh, discussion that is uh, that it's taking place and should take place around uh, creating standards and integrations. Uh, um, not all of them required all the vendors of the world to come together. There are now API abstraction layers and, and, and cloud-based data lakes uh, that, that solve a lot of the problem without the need for all the systems to, to use a single standard. Uh, but generally speaking, providing data that allows realty owners to deploy human-centric portfolio management that impacts renters, that increases uh, rent, uh, that convinces people to come back into the office, is a central shift, not only in technology, but in how vendors and innovators and the market is thinking about uh, buildings uh, uh, with a new human-centric DNA. So in summary, it is true that uh, this pandemic has accelerated uh, previously existing digital transformation programs. Uh, it is true uh, that things are moving faster than before. I want to say it is not true uh, that uh, um, we are in the end or that anybody has a good idea of how it's going to look like. I think that there are a lot of vendors and technologies that are, are, are scrambling to shift. First, the website changes. Slowly, the technology and products catch behind. Everybody were doing an excellent work. I think that um, this space is now being invaded by a, a, new, a new breed of vendors that is coming from cloud and technology. And I am seeing companies that uh, are doing uh, access control, that are doing uh, all sorts of things uh, uh, that weren't playing in the space before. And the good news is that they are, uh, are providing innovation and, and, and fresh blood and spirit uh, be making people and buildings better uh, communicate. Fantastic, Thanks. Ram. And a couple of questions. First one is, what's wrong with working at West Elm? <laughs> exactly. It's brilliant. <laughs> That's right. It's comfortable. It's close. Um, I was really intrigued by when you said, uh, you know, what do occupants really mean? Uh, that is a simple question that is part of a, a, a global cultural shift that real estate companies and, and organizations that employ people are all trying to make a decision on what do they mean to make big bets and big decisions. It's really a really a, a really interesting, provocative question, but a couple, maybe just a little bit more detail. Um, cultural shifts, we've talked about the pandemic, we've talked about all these issues kind of coming together as one strategy. And, but we're, we are talking primarily about the built environment here. So are, are, are the technology are the technology that are really driving the most smart buildings, let's say, more IT things? Or is it more, as you mentioned, uh, operational technology or OT things, which are sort of building system centric? And just for the audience, basically, you know, IT and apps and back office and all the technology we're kind of used to in, in the corporate enterprise world. Uh, versus the dirty fingernails of uh, uh, HVAC and lighting and metering and sensors. Which which side is it coming from, or should? So so it, it, it's a fascinating question, and I think it's top of mind for for a, a lot of uh, 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 the market, especially because end users 
the renters uh, are now, uh, you have the CIOs and IT involved in these decision makings because it went up to the CEO and CFO level. So the CIO is on top. While before there were point solutions, maybe the security guy was buying something and nobody cared. Uh, uh, for building owners, um, and you can see guys like Steve for example, taking an initiative and switching and creating costs and becoming a provider for their own right. Uh, the core part, and I think that the first thing that is already cemented, is that sensor technology, the fabric of, uh, of technology that encompasses the building and collects the data, it seems to be standardizing around Bluetooth low energy. Um, BLE is emerging as the winning technology stack, and that is the number one factor that pulls IT into the picture, because today access points uh, from Cisco, from others, are all incorporating IoT connectivity, sensor connectivity, using Bluetooth. So Bluetooth as a winner is defining an interface with IT and with the access points as infrastructure that is already in place, and, and this will continue to be a competition right? Honeywell talks to OT, Cisco talks to IT, who is going to win, who is going to bring the sensors? This, this, this is still an open uh, race uh, that remains to be determined. Really good answer and, and, and good, good, good example there. And that, that is, that is a, a fascinating question that it's changing almost, uh, almost monthly. But thanks, Ram. Appreciate that. And uh, we're going to jump on to uh, Shahar Peleg with uh, prescriptive data. Um, and uh, he currently serves as the VP of product and uh, of product at Prescriptive Data, where he leads product strategy, road mapping, and feature execution on Prescriptive's data flagship product, Nantum OS. Shahar, welcome. Thank you, thank you, Tom. Definitely excited to be on this webinar, and uh, definitely very interesting discussion uh, so far. So, in my uh, a uh, quick presentation. I'll be going through five takeaways that we have been learning from real estate owners, uh, which are a result of the pandemic, or the pandemic has actually enhanced them over the past uh, almost two years now. So first, and this came up in, in, in the previous presentation just now, occupancy data is a critical uh, data point to be collected within uh, from the building. And for the building to be to uh, react on, 100% uh, agree with uh, the previous uh, presenter uh, on that. As an example, as the pandemic hit, occupancy uh, data was used to actually monitor in New York City what was the uh, reaction to the governor's uh, stay-at-home uh, uh, mandate and, and how people actually reacted to that. As people were, were allowed to come back into the building and to provide that additional uh, feel safe um, to the tenants, occupancy data together with machine learning and artificial intelligence was actually used, uh, can be used to provide uh, elevator wait times, uh, which allow for better um, social distancing within uh, uh, the buildings itself. And now as tenants are coming back more to the office, uh, occupancy data is helping the building operators to monitor and to actually operate the building in a better, more optimized way to accommodate the actual occupancy within the building. Another lesson, and that has also come up in previous presentation, indoor air quality, health and wellness has become an important uh, issue and a definitely an interest, a great interest and awareness from the tenant's uh, perspective. So one thing is to actually 
enhance the indoor air quality within the building and to do it through automation, which reacts to the occupancy within uh, the building itself, such that when there is more occupants in the building, you pump in more fresh air. You don't wanna just pump in more outside fresh air when there's no occupants, because that actually increases your energy uh, bill. The second aspect of, of the indoor air quality is actually surfacing the indoor air quality or the relevant health and wellness matrix to the tenants um, them, them, themselves, again, in the goal uh, to raise their uh, awareness and, and to increase their uh, feeling of uh, the building is safe uh, and to come back into. Third lesson, and this is interesting, and I think it, uh, it's somewhat similar to a use case uh, which was mentioned uh, previous as well. We've been monitoring occupancy as well as energy consumptions uh, throughout a, a large number of buildings. And interestingly, you know, as the stay home mandate was uh, given in, in New York City, occupancy within buildings decreased uh, around 95%. On the other hand, energy consumption of these buildings only decreased by just slightly below 30%. So there isn't really that one-to-one know, -one relationship between the energy consumption of the building and their actual occupancy. Now, when we looked uh, deeper into that, it's, we found out that it's actually the SLAs defined or dictated by the lease agreements that meant that operators needed to continue to pump air um, air uh, or condition air into uh, the lease spaces even though there's no one there so definitely going forward you know those leases need to be appended such that you know you only pump uh, conditioned air into spaces that are occupied uh, and, and used and again if you recall uh, occupancy being a critical data point uh, to to track in order to drive this um, to drive this forward. Another lesson, and this is um, a little bit different over the past year and more dramatically over the past month, a lot of the large corporates and enterprises have made uh, significant commitments in, in terms of their uh, sustainability and um, yeah, driving uh, or reducing the climate impact. So you know, even a, a global pandemic like the coronavirus hasn't managed, unfortunately, to uh, reduce the climate change. So um, these corporates and enterprise uh, are taking on significant commitments um, in, in this regard. Now buildings actually are significant contributors to these corporations or enterprises carbon uh, footprint. So it's the real estate owners and operators that actually need to help them uh, meet or uh, to make progress towards meeting uh, these goals. And it all starts with one, you know, being able to share the energy and carbon footprints of the buildings with the tenants, with these enterprises. So they're able to incorporate that within their ESG and even their financial reporting. But also the building owners and operators need to um, take proactive uh, actions to actually reduce their energy footprint and their carbon footprint uh, accordingly. Last is where do you fund all these things? Uh, or where do you, uh, um, 
where are you able to find additional funding to fund tenant amenities to drive back uh, the tenants into the, uh, the building and to be able to uh, retain them over a long uh, uh, period of time because it's a tenant amenities that draw people back into the buildings and increase uh, the retention. However, these are quite uh, costly. So where can potential funds uh, come from? So actually by taking proactive actions to increase the, uh, the sustainability poster, to reduce the energy, the carbon footprint um, of the building, you're saving money. Um, so actually, you know, this is a win-win situation. Not only that you're saving money and uh, not only that you're reducing your energy consumption and improving your uh, sustainability uh, posture, but you're saving money that could later be invested into additional amenities that can uh, bring the tenants uh, and retain them over uh, a longer period of time. And with that, Sam, I'll turn it out over back to you and happy to take some questions. Oh, thanks, great. Yeah, a couple of you don't mind. Um, so uh, you mentioned, uh, uh, I mean, we've all been talking about this uh, conditioned air, you know, outside air, um, and, and that, obviously sometimes is counter to running a building more efficiently, but you talked about only putting it where people are uh, versus where people are not. Uh, it's, it's, this is a little bit of an opinion question. Do you think you can uh, balance the energy and sustainability loss of much more fresh air required when you only put it where it needs to go? Is it, is it just, it just as an opinion, can you, can you break even on that? A hundred percent break even and even uh, achieve further savings. Because, uh, for example, like if, if you're starting your building, meaning starting to pump air, just because you have to meet SLAs at a certain time of the day, you, you may be wasting. Especially now with you know people coming in at different times or whether or not they're coming in or not, you may be actually uh, spending more than you need into creating those condition uh, surfaces. So, or areas. So if you're actually um, starting your building or starting specific zones within your buildings or floors only when occupants arrive, and you know this is where machine learning and artificial intelligence can also or should play a significant role because obviously you know, we're limited to uh, how much we're able to uh, react to, but machine learning and artificial intelligence that, will, that learns the patterns, that learns the building's behavior, that learns the occupant's behavior, uh, and triggers or uh, runs the building exactly when, uh, uh, when needed, you, you're not going to just break even. You're going to uh, even um, save. Because there's opportunity, people go out to lunch. Why cool the building or heat the building when people go out to lunch, right? Um, people start going home, and there's you know you can ride the building thermal inertia um, as people go home. So there's a lot of savings opportunities uh, while doing that. 100%. It, it struck me this is one of the most basic ways maybe to explain uh, how technology can help. Uh, just what you just described is. Uh, we need more outside air. We still focus on energy and sustainability. Uh, if we only put it where it's supposed to go, we can have both. I mean, it, it sounds really simple, but uh, wow, it, you know, a lot of times in our industry, we all talk about technology and analytics and dashboards and things, and we lose uh, people when they, when you give an example like that. That's powerful. It's simple and it's doable. Yeah, uh, and you know, technology at the end of the day, whether it's uh, sensors and the data we collect, needs to serve. 
uh, a purpose, right? And it needs to serve the people. And, and just to go to that same example, like I refer to turning down the, uh, the air condition when people go out to lunch. How many times have you come back from lunch to the office and it was super cold? It's cold because we're all somewhat uh, of a 100 watt light bulb, you know, releasing uh, heat. But when we go out to lunch, you know, we're not there. So, and, and why come back to a cold office when you don't need it, right? Uh, so you can uh, yeah. achieve those additional savings. They, they tell me I'm more like a 75 watt bulb, but I get the point. <laughs> yeah, uh, last quick question. What do you, uh, are there a couple of technologies, a short answer, that going into 22, you know, we've all been talking about data and analytics a long time and now sensors. Are there a couple things going into this sort of reoccupied buildings and that, 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 that are top for you? Yeah, so you mentioned, you know, sensors and data. We're collecting sensor data and, and, and that's a base layer of um, everything. And the more granular we'll get, you know, whether it's occupancy and zone level, you know, the more efficient we can be. But as I mentioned, machine learning and artificial intelligence platforms, looking at the data, find the correlations between the data, and then either recommending or even taking actions on their own will be key because of all this, you know, all this change. This is a new world, right? We need to interpret the, uh, and, and find those new patterns that will continually uh, evolve and change. And, and unfortunately or fortunately, machines are better at that than we are. So, uh, yeah. yeah. No, I appreciate that. That's fantastic. Really enjoyed that. Thank you for your for your for your thoughts. Yeah, thank um, you. Bet. Uh, and just before we introduce the next uh, panelist, I just say to folks that that's what we were describing about you know, putting the right air at the right time, in the right place, and that's that's a use case that doesn't require a technology PhD. Uh, it just it's a good use case that can be described and, and had. So. Um, next is Alain Zakar, that he uh, is currently the Chief Technology Officer at Car Properties. Uh, for over 20 years, he has been executive business leader and innovation technology strategist for multinational real estate and property development companies worldwide. And also, uh, as Sarah indicated, a Realcom Digital Impact Award winner. So uh, humbled and glad to have you up next. Alon. Go ahead. Thank you very much, Tom. And uh, thank you, Realcom, for having me. And thank you for all of the uh, people that are in the crowd. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. I like the new format, or at least the, this is the, the first time that I do this format where the sponsors and the solution providers speak before the uh, the, the end users, which is uh, uh, Clayton coming after me and myself, um, because they always say, I just wanted to reiterate that what, you know, what the users are actually doing. Now I'm going to actually say, I'm going to reiterate a lot of the things that they actually said too. Um, and I'm going to try to go back to the original component of, you know, or, or the topic of what we're talking about is smart buildings and the, uh, you know, during COVID and what it has taught us and, and, and how are we advancing forward. And I think that, you know, I'm going to try to introduce a new term over here, which is the wise building. And I'm going to tell you why it's because I think that the, uh, oops, sorry, wrong, wrong arrow. Uh, I think that the, um, that the smart building is a, uh, you know, is smart building 1.0, but as it's progressing, people may look at smart buildings in different ways. But, you know, to reiterate some of the things that have been said before, where Mark said that equipment is being asked to do more, um, equipment is being asked to do more. We, are, we have more people than what our buildings were actually built for. And because of that, we're demanding from the equipment to do more things for us. Um, a lot of these equipment work in silos. 
um, you know, one of the things that Corey said is that health and wellness is a critical component. Not only is it a critical component today because of COVID, but also our customers are much more knowledgeable when it comes to that and questions are starting to come from them with regards to wellness and health and how are we actually treating the building itself. We as owners are thinking about space optimization, how, you know, what Corey also said, how do we actually ma manage better our, our space and, and how do we, we deal with it better? Um, it is also teaching us a lot what, what, what Ram was also saying was with regards to that, who's our new customer? Because our existing customer is not going to be the customer of the future or the customer post-COVID. And we're seeing that these customers are changing, either work from home or requesting different environments inside the, the space itself. So there is a lot, a lot of things that are happening, uh, you know, with regards to learning, uh, learning for us who is going to be uh, our, our new customer. Um, we're looking at and, and you know all these different services and technologies that, that are coming in. Now we're also looking at turning them into uh, you know user centric, meaning that the customer can have access to it if it's their quality or if it's a lot of things that that are there. Um, and you know and, and something that Shahar said just said right now is that we managed to save quite a bit of money due to our analytics process um, when COVID just hit uh, by lowering energy costs by uh, not sending cleaners to places where there were no where no one was actually there so we renegotiated with our cleaners that do not go and remove garbage uh, from a space that there's nobody there and garbage is the highest uh, about highest cost in, in cleaning so we managed to save money there those savings were then thrown into a bucket of uh, technology initiatives that we that helped us in the um in the process. So as you can see, we, we know a lot of things have, have changed and, and as we're doing, we're implementing this new sensor technology uh, to collect more data because we're all becoming so data hungry right now, um, that we're actually also um, learning new things where it's breaking the assumptions that we had before. Where are the sensor, where the, we put sensors in and we're expecting them to read out what we originally thought is happening in the space. And we're learning that that's not really the, the, the case. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to run a little bit with regards to the um, with regards to the uh, you know to 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 what I think of of why wise and not smart is because my father always told me that a wise person does not get into trouble that a smart person knows how to get out of. Um, well, in my mind, the new era of the smart building, call it smart building one, but 3.0, um, the wise building can address a scenario that a smart building will have to react to. Um, and, and and I think that 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 you know I'm still working on on, on the uh, on on the actual uh, right verbiage, but I think that you will understand um, what I mean when I sort of like talk you through the eras of the smart building and you know how it how it affects and what we we're doing with it today. So the original smart building, we'll call it smart building 1.0, really introduced into, brought technology into the buildings. And we spoke, you know, people spoke about it before. You know, we brought in lighting systems, brought in HVAC systems. Uh, we brought in systems that helped uh, manage the existing environments, the existing uh, uh, delivery of, of the building itself. Um, and that's what we would call smart building 1.0, right? And, 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 and a lot of buildings you'd be surprised because I, I speak to, our to my colleagues uh, in the UK. Um, we have a sister company based out of the UK and um, they're talking about um, you know, individual customers implementing their own HVAC systems, that it's not a building 
um, a building main system that that is there. So there, there's a lot of different things that we are taking for granted, maybe here in the US, which are not necessarily standard in other places of the world. Next, we talk about, you know, smart building 2.0 smart building 2.0 introduced management systems of smart building 1.0. So now we take a lot of our access control, CCTV, visitor management systems, and we bring them, put them and wrap them around in a security management system. Um, or we look at our energy management together with our BMS system. So we, we look at all these different, we, we sort of like group together some systems and we've made a management system uh, that can handle those specific systems. Still, we're talking in silos, these systems like Mark, uh, like, like, um, Mark said at the beginning, these systems still speak in silos and you know they work independently and people have to log in into individual systems and these systems don't talk to each other. And that's what I see as the biggest problem is that these systems are not talking to each other. And the reason I'm saying that these systems don't talk to each other is because when they start talking to each other, the building becomes wise or clever, which is a term that I've heard before. So smart building 1.0, smart building 2.0, you would probably hear about intelligent buildings. And now you're hearing the clever or the wise building um, where in reality, all of the systems are interconnected. So it's important to understand access control with IEQ sensors, with BMS, with facility management. And then when we look at all of that together and we integrate all of them together, and I know that and I know that uh, Ram said that he didn't hear uh, integrating, but yes, integrating them all together is critical because that also opens up new avenues for us, which is more of the um, measuring operation and performance, hospitality, customer service, because now we can take a look at all of this. We're lucky enough that we started harvesting data and we're looking at data and analytics um, three years ago. So when COVID hit, we were already, uh, we, all, we have data that we can look back, we have data that we can look during COVID and we can look at how data is trending right now. And that is really helping us also uh, with making decisions, evaluation, evaluating our customer service and really looking at our buildings when we talk about you know, the customer, because at the end of the day, you know, and, and, and it was said here before, we're automating, we're creating all this new technology and all these solutions at the end of the day, now, not for the building, we're doing it for the customer because the customer is the center. So when we're automating, when we're looking at understanding who's in our building and offering you a, a, a solution to get your coffee and then call the elevator and then give you a, a pathway to your, to your, to your space, um, with the temperature and the lighting that you request, or being able to look at the quality of air and give it a better solution within the building. All of that is around the customer, where before it was the building, now it's the customer. Um, so, you know, before I, I leave, um, again, you know, a wise building can address a scenario and we'll be addressing scenarios that a smart building or an old school or a smart building 1.0 will have to be reactive and not proactive. Um, so Tom, that's that's it for my presentation. Uh, really helpful. And uh, especially the great perspective on the phases of smart buildings. I think a lot of times people just fast forward uh, and, and kind of forget how these things came together. And then also uh, really appreciate the wise uh, approach. Uh, and Because I think that does relate to um, uh, what we talked about earlier, having attributes. If a building has attributes, uh, and is why then it can it can really uh, be prepared at least if not doing things proactively. So I've got a question that is uh, not a hard answer, 
uh, just a perspective answer, uh, because historically, consistent with your phases point, uh, smart buildings are often looked at as ROI. Do I want that analytics? How much will pay back? Do I want that lighting control? I'm like, and how do you juxtapose that against just the realities uh, that we have a bunch of digital systems, we have certain risks, we have a pandemic, you know, uh, how often are you having to deal with ROI when it comes to technology versus, no, 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 we've got a reality we're dealing with and this is the best way to deal with it. So it's a lot of lessons learned. And, you, you know, I always said that the job of the CIO CTO is 80% marketing and 20% technology. And uh, like I said, we're lucky enough that we started our analytics project uh, pre-COVID, pre-pandemic. Um, and I think that a lot of companies today are looking at analytics as the savior because they think that there's a lot of money in there and they jump all into it and are, are disappointed when they, when they see what they see. We actually created a mechanism internally at CAR that we really wanted to take a look at data, at subsets of data, and we wanted to understand subsets of data. And so when we look at, for example, access control, at the beginning, we needed to combine all the different access controls into one model of access controls to be able to look at the data, data in a holistic way. In addition to that, we then saw, like I said, okay, access control actually can be, can be used together with facility management. So now, how do we normalize facility management and access control to be able to make the data cross against each other or layer it on top of it and also make sense? So, but we look at one data set at a time and then we saw like say, okay, we have this data set and we have this data set. We can look at every, every one of them individually in one single pane of glass. Now let's try to layer them on top. And that's when you really look at all these different systems that are out there that allow you to overlay them and then give you the sentiment analysis, give you the risk factors and, and help you out more. Yeah, that's, uh, I think even, uh, our solution providers would say the same thing that, uh, that it, a technology by itself, I got analytics. It just doesn't sit there on the coffee table and yeah. do something, right? You've got to have a use case or something that you want as an executive, and then you've got to have workflow and process behind it to to get those things out. So I think that's an important perspective. One last question, um, kind of relating to the topic here. Uh, is there a short story to how you're seeing the hybrid work phenomenon? Uh, and, and, and are you still in the formation phases of your strategy or your position on that as it relates to your properties? Well, people are not in the buildings yet. So as much as you can say that people are in the buildings, people are not in the buildings yet. So we don't really, I can't really tell you what the return is going to be. Our customers are extending every time they return back into the office. Luckily for us, they're still paying rent. But the, uh, but the point is that we don't really know what the new norm is going to be because our buildings are not yet, I'm not gonna say at, you know, at full capacity where we were before, I don't think that we'll ever be at that level, but we don't understand yet what the new normal is going to be. Uh, but I, I, I will agree with, with something that somebody said before, which the, the deliveries are going to be different. So if you're gonna be working two to three times a week before, like two to three times a week at the office where you before were five days in the office, before you would come to the office and you would expect the community, you would expect to interact with people, you would expect to be with other people. If you're gonna come now for two days a week or three days a week to the office, you're not coming for that anymore. You're coming to work. So the amenity spaces are going to have to be repurposed. Maybe the gyms have to be smaller because there's not going to be as many people in the gym at one time. If you also think we, we had a, a very interesting presentation with the, from the CEO of Castle that said that if you are actually expected to come to the office and actually have 
an interaction with a lot of people, but people are only are coming going to come to work two to three times a week. The odds of you actually meeting with the people that you wanted to on a regular basis is going to be zero. So this whole community aspect of being with people when people want to start working two to three days a week uh, only at the office, you're not going to have those communities anymore. So the, the service delivery is going to have to change, too. Uh, I really appreciate that honest perspective. And Ram kind of alluded to this and said, nobody really knows what occupants mean by I want to work from home, but I want to see my friends and I want, nobody knows what they mean yet. So you, you really can, uh, hard to make generational decisions uh, in, in, the, in the early months of a, of, a, of a big ship like that. Well, thanks so much. That was really, really great perspective. Um, and we're going to jump on to Clayton Ehrlich, who is, um, uh, works with Heinz, and he is the firm's senior vice president, of corporate operations and engineering services, and also serves as global sustainability officer. He is responsible for the firm's industry-leading standards and operations and maintenance, environmental policy, equipment efficiency, energy management, and engineering employee development. And while he was doing all that, he got an IBCon Digital Impact Award uh, for, for the industry. Uh, congratulations, Clayton, and welcome. Th thank you, Tom. Can everybody hear me? You bet. Great. So, you know, Tom, I, I'm going to send you a nicer Christmas present this year because it's it's extremely hard to be batting cleanup on a, a all-star panel like this. And, you know, I, I think I'm going to switch directions just a little bit. I agree, generally speaking, with everything that's been provided today. But I, but I think in a holistic way, as we've been going through the last two years trying to find our way in our businesses and our offices and our, our lives, in my mind, there's been there's been four really transformational things that have happened. And, you know, to many people, they're surprised by the pandemic, but I would challenge you and say those that are playing, paying close attention uh, are now encountering the pandemic that we feared has been coming for decades. The other thing that, that I think is important part of this is that work from home was on its way, but in the, in the last two years, it's taken on new meaning and it's accelerated uh, the issues with building occupancy and uh, the use of the buildings and the interactive goal of the buildings where people really use the buildings for effective interaction. And then I think in this process, tenants have shifted. You know, they were already moving, but they shifted dramatically in what they want the building to provide. In the old days, tenants wanted to provide some of these amenities to them, for themselves, to their own occupants, to their own employees. And now they're looking more and more for the building to provide an occupant experience. And then the focus on building decarbonization and the broader ESG content has just truly skyrocketed over the last two years. And my read on it, all four of these items have long-term implications and effects. They're not going away. They're going to challenge everybody on the call today. They're going to challenge the real estate industry and everybody that participates in the real estate industry. And they're going to bring smart buildings out of the talk and theory stage into the reality stage. And it's going to be interesting to see who plays first, who doesn't play, who plays best. And, and we've all got our work cut out for them. So, so let's talk a little bit about these four things a little more in detail. The pandemic. The COVID pandemic is just the latest series of transmissible disease that the world struggled with, right? Before COVID was Ebola. 
in between COVID and Ebola was Zika. We didn't pay much attention to Zika because it wasn't a building disease. It was a really an uh, ambient d disease where you really contracted it through mosquitoes. But before that was MERS and swine flu and SARS. You know, interesting, I don't have a clue why, but the world got a break between 1970 and 2002 because the last recorded real issue was the Hong Kong flu in 1970. And before that was the Asian flu. And so I suggest to you that we need to think longer term. COVID is the latest challenge. It's the one that became pandemic where the other one, some of the other ones didn't. But I don't think it's going away. I think there's another one coming and it's probably connected in some way with how the world's evolved and how close we are to each other, how we live close together, we work close together, we travel close together. And the interesting thing is that everyone has been looking for the silver bullet for COVID. And to my knowledge, no one's really found one. We've repurposed some technology that really wasn't created for COVID. It, it may have an impact, but no one has really found a true silver bullet. Put this in your building and take the liability of telling all your building occupancies that they can't transmit COVID within the building. And so it's going to leave us to fall back on design, management, and control of building systems more than we ever have before because everybody's looking and everybody cares. But today we're having to rely on the fundamentals that we've determined over a longer period of time. And that's better management of the building systems and to the degree we find and when we find things that, that reduce the transmission of COVID, not eliminate it, but reduce it, we're gonna have to better manage and manipulate and own our building systems, not just for energy efficiency, not just for environmental comfort, but for whatever impact we can have on the impact of transmissible disease within our buildings. And smart buildings will continue to have a critical role in this on an ongoing basis. When we find out how to do it better, we can't do it manually. We got to do it through autom automation. We got to do it through sensors and control and programming and software. And it says smart buildings is going to be more important than it's ever been. The next thing I'd like to chat about is the work from home space use and the interactions we have within the space. You know, in order to effectively meet some of the needs of the space, the way it's going to change and the way it's going to get used it's gonna require a higher integration of the tech stack to support the occupancy. And it's gonna be an integration of the tech stack of the tenant and the building and the equipment and the systems. And in order to more effectively do this, I think the reality is we're gonna see more and more Zoom calls or what I would call hybrid calls, where we have a collective group that happens to be in the office or specifically came to the office, connected with people outside of the office. And that integration really just doesn't work that well yet. And so we're gonna to have to have a better tech stack in buildings. It's gonna be interesting to see what the building can provide. You know, it may be that the building provides some connectivity that, that it replaces what was originally conference centers and meeting centers. But again, smart buildings are gonna be the foundation of this. How do we make all this work? How do we make it easier for the tenants? You know, a lot of tenants are small tenants and do not have the tech capabilities of the larger tenants that we all think about. And yet they're valuable tenants. You know, they make up the bulk of the building. They're the tenant comes in small and grows and becomes the lead tenant for a building. And so the building and smart building is going to have a, a, a role to play, a foundational role in the work from home and the space use transitions that we're seeing. The next item that I wanted to chat about is the tenant expectations. Occupant experience, some employees, really do want to get their employees back to the office. And I realize the tech stock, the tech companies make, make the headlines, but, but 
I believe over time that that the occupants and the companies are going to identify the less obvious things that being in the office provides. How do you mentor someone and how do you get mentor and how do you get exposure when you don't get contact with people? There's a reason people are social. And I believe that that look, we're never going back to everybody five days in the office, 40 hours a week. But I do believe that a lot of companies want to get their employees back in the office. And there's some clear reasons for that. But it's it's shifted and it shifted what they're wanting from buildings. You know, 30, 30, 35, 40 years ago, you, you would have built a major building, but you wouldn't have put a health club in it necessarily. You wouldn't have necessarily put in a, a cafeteria or a food service or you you might not have uh, activated the lobby. Uh, uh, a gym, a, a, a nursing station. In reality, years ago, big tenants put those on their own spaces. Today, they're looking for the building to step up and do this. And they're doing it for clear reasons. Obviously, if if you put in the health club as the building or you put in the food service as the building, maybe it's the cafeteria or maybe it's a restaurant, that CapEx is a reduction for them. It now becomes a building CapEx expenditure. And it's also easier for the tenant. If someone else manages the complexity of these, these amenities, it's much easier for the tenant to focus on their core business. And lastly, employees want it. Building occupants want greater minimization of the buildings. And there's no way this is going to happen and be all interfaced and work smooth and seamlessly and meet this vision of the future without smart buildings playing a pivotal role in making all this work. And the last one and a huge one is decarbonization. The ESG train. The train is leaving the station in a variety of countries at a variety of paces but it's not sitting on the platform anymore. And it's gonna put a tremendous pressure on buildings to, to be more efficient. We're gonna to have to produce and deliver to the market and manage the most efficient buildings ever yet. And once again, smart buildings is gonna be the center. It's gonna be the foundation of this. It's gonna be where it all comes together. So I, I believe that all of these trends that we've seen over the last two years are here to stay. They're not going away. It plays right into what we've all been trying to achieve for a long time, and that's a better, smarter building that operates more efficiently, produces less carbon, takes less money, and provides a better occupant experience. On the other hand, I'm confident we all have our challenges ahead of us, and I believe the connectivity and the exchanges and the collaboration provided by people like the key leaders, the industry leaders on the phone today, their openness on the call today, their openness and their willingness to engage and, and exchange information without fear of who's going to benefit from it more than them. And that being facilitated by Realcom and IBCOM is going to play a key role in how each of us win in our own worlds. So with that, Tom, I'd turn it back over to you. Oh, well, th thanks, Clayton. That was uh, really, really helpful. You and Alon both had uh, uh, just great perspective. And a couple of questions. First of all, I appreciate the long-term thinking uh, both backwards and forwards. I think that's an important thought. Um, you also said uh, about building control systems, and uh, and and you said you know there's not a silver bullet. And I think that's a. a I want to ask you a question about that. And is that uh, saying that 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 building control systems, which there are many. I mean, you could HVAC, elevator, lighting, metering, parking. We could just go down the list. They're already there and they're already digital, and people aren't even making as much use out of their interoperability, their experiences, their capabilities as they could be, kind of like the proverbial, I've got my smartphone and I'm using you know, eight apps out of 10,000. Is that, there's more to be done there before we start grabbing at stuff? Is that what you're indicating? 
No, no, I think we all wanted to have some technology solution that we don't have in buildings. Go put this in, buy it, spend the money, put it in, and no one will get COVID. Maybe maybe it's a light, maybe it's filtration, you know, maybe it's MERV 15, maybe it's bipolar ionization, UVGI, upper room UVGI ionization. I mean, there's a lot of different things, but the tests that most of them have were were done in a lab and we have a ways to go to really know and prove out that what exactly they do. And and at Tom, I think that I think it's a little challenging, right? There's a world of difference in buildings. And this industry has moved so fast in a lot of different ways that it's hard for the smaller buildings that just have a guy that's running the building for a smaller, much smaller company. How do they keep up? And and everybody's going to have to be playing and it's going to matter. And so I think we just all got to get better. I think, look, I think the industry leaders have done a stellar job for a long time. And I think everybody's doing the best job they can. I don't think any of us are doing enough yet. Yep. And uh, well, I got one or two more for Clayton, but if all the panelists can pop on, we may not get to you, but I just want you all to kind of come back online uh, video. But um, in, on ESG, I think it's also an important point that um, uh, you said that's getting serious and, and trajectory in the past couple of years has gone way up. And is that, uh, saying that the smart building job there is to provide real data on ESG and buildings versus sort of uh, things that are on paper and some strategy and, uh, you know, simply buying credits or something, but actually getting data, validated data from building performance on ESG. Is that is that why where you see smart buildings being necessary for ESG? I, I think it's I think it's more than that. I think that's part of it. Right. If you're going to if you're going to going forward if you're going to say you make esg or environmental or carbon emissions progress you're gonna you're gonna get challenged in my mind to prove it and you best not say it if you can't prove it and so i think right. data i think data validate what your claim is is going to be really important but i also think equally important tom in order to make more efficient buildings we're going to make more complicated buildings and we're going to have to control them tighter and so I think there's the control aspect and then there's the integration aspect, but then there's the data aspect. And the data is one to help us do it better and the others to be able to validate what we claim we're doing and know what our progress is. Yeah, I think it's too late for those uh, big commitments and that uh, baloney responses. <laughs> I think now the chickens are coming home to roost and, and what we're seeing is, yeah, you said this two years ago, how's that going? They're like two years ago, wow. Uh, I've really got to get some data out of these buildings. Um, and maybe this is for you and Alon or Alon start because Clayton mentioned something about um, uh, you know how we're we're social animals and you got to mentor people and that's going to kind of come back around. Just the human nature is going to require more of that. Uh, just an opinion from from maybe you two guys is that uh, do you think that's going to come from the occupants or the employees changing their mind? Because right now there's the rebellion. I ain't going back. I'm going to work when I went from hybrid. Do you think they're going to start changing their mind and the companies have to react to that? Or you think the managers who have the perspective are going to say, no, I know you need mentoring. I know you need socialization and I'm going to make you come back. Any any sense along where you think that's coming from in your tenants? Um, I think that it's going to have to come back with also with ambition, right? So if you are, if you want to progress, you want to advance, you want to, you're going to have to be mentored, you're going to have to learn from your peers, you're going to have to learn and not by sitting in front of your computer and doing your day to day job without having the exposure to the talent that to the additional talent that you have that, that you will be at work. So I think that you 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 are going to need that mentoring, you are going to need to do that. I see that in my department, and I see that in our in our office itself that 
that's really where the added value is today in, in coming back into the office is yes is to talk together and be able to address certain things that you would have to do for zoom calls in order to to address um but but yeah we were we may have to provide like clayton said we may have to provide a better environment or a better solution uh, technology stack in order to be able to provide that not only to ourselves but also to our customers which could be a competitive edge on why choose my building versus somebody else's that's great and and we just are about to run out of time here but mark we'd be remiss if if we didn't hear uh clayton talk about uh you know technology smart building requirements for esg and other things and elon talk about a technology stack and shahar and ram talk about bluetooth and analytics and not mention the the very fundamental importance of cybersecurity. Can you just give us a word on that, that we can't step over that with all these big dreams? Well, I would I would say put cybersecurity first and foremost before those big dreams. Regardless, you cannot accomplish those dreams. You cannot accomplish anything without taking into account the cybersecurity, cyber posture of all of us. If you don't, forget about it and all the good things you want to do, all the great outcomes that can be achieved, you want to achieve, will all come to a close with a cyber, without good cyber posture. I think that's uh, that's great advice and, and uh, uh, we're out of time, but I want to tell the audience, hopefully they can sense that we put more questions in following each panelist, knowing we had a lot of panelists and I really wanted to have them answer questions fresh uh, from their presentations. As Sarah said at the top, it was a star studded panel with three award winners and everybody being uh, fantastic in terms of their message and their information. So thanks uh, panel, uh, really, really enjoyed it. And Sarah, we'll turn it back to you. Thank you so much, Tom, and thanks to all the panelists for joining us today. Really appreciate your insights and um, you sharing your message with the community. Also want to thank the audience for joining us. I know um, towards the end of the year, everyone has very busy schedules, so appreciate you taking the time to join us this morning or afternoon, depending on where you are. And with that, this is actually the last webinar of the year. As I mentioned before, I do want to invite you to join us next year. We will be um, continuing with about one webinar a week and we'll start out in the um, second week of January. So visit our website to see the new schedule of webinars coming up. And with that, um, have a wonderful holiday season and we'll see you next year. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Happy holidays. Thank you.